This episode of CCA is brought to you by Stan and their exclusive new series, Everything I Know About Love. Based on the best-selling memoir by Dolly Alderton, if you love the bold type and younger, then this series is for you. Streaming now, only on Stan. You do fear of, oh shit, if I step out of this, someone else can take my spot. So, you know, if I, if I step out of this, I'm not going to be able to come back and catch up. And it's just proving the pudding that if you do do it and you do take that time off and you, and you do try and explore and expand, great things can come from that. Just go for it. Give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, you've learned something from it and go back again if you, and, and try harder next time or, or, or use those mistakes as positives to learn and, and just and give it a go. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Lovely neighborhood. I doubt there are many of you listening who haven't drooled once or twice over Chris Hemsworth's body before. I mean, you're only human, right? Well, you may not have realized, though, you were actually drooling over our guest for this week. Yep, I am thrilled to have Chris's legendary body double and professional stuntman Bobby Holland Hanton on the show this week. Bobby has worked on many major Hollywood blockbuster films, including Thor, The Avengers, Batman, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Mission Impossible, Star Wars, what hasn't he been in, as well as hit TV show Game of Thrones, earning him a host of awards, including eight Screen Actors Guild Awards and two Emmys. You know, I love having all sorts of pathways on the show and we all see stunt doubles all the time, but I've never actually thought about how you become one. So this chat was an absolute blast. It kind of makes sense that Bobby's beginnings were in gymnastics, starting as young as four and then building up to becoming a gold medalist for Great Britain and competing all around the world, a career interesting and multifaceted in itself that you'll hear all about. Plus, Bobby isn't just a pretty face slash body. He's also just this week released his first ever children's picture book, The Adventures of Eddie and Flip Boy. He'll tell you more about that exciting launch himself. So I am so excited to introduce this week, Bobby Holland Hanton. Bobby Dazzler. I feel like that's your name in my brain. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It kind of is my is my name now. It's been uh, It's been my nickname for a very long time. So I think everyone knows me as that for sure. Yeah, where did that come from? It actually, funny enough, a really weird story. I was 19 years old. I was actually doing a pantomime in Southampton, local to, to where I am from. Um, I was playing a, an acrobat in this in this pantomime, and there was a, a soap star from our huge show in the UK, EastEnders. EastEnders. And we got together, and it was kind of in the paper, in the press, and they called me the Bobby Dazzler, and it's just stuck since I was 19. So, yeah, it's been a while. Oh, I love it, because you just dazzle everyone. <laughs> I'll take that for sure. That's the, we can take. We can go with that. That's fine. <laughs> well, you might know already that uh, part of this show is going back to those sort of early days in Southampton. And you know, if people sure. meet you right now in your life, it's really easy to assume you always knew where you were going and that this was always your goal and it was smooth sailing. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's not that. But before we get into that, 
I'd love to ask our little icebreaker, which is just what the most down-to-earth thing is about you. And I think because most people do know you as Bobby Dazzler and see you in movies and in Hollywood and doing all these incredible things, it's hard to remember there's just a, a dude, you know, behind the scenes. So what's something really normal about you? I think, if I'm honest, it's um, I'm just one big kid. And I really, I shouldn't, I'm a big kid in an adult's body. I've got no intentions of growing up. I know I have to at some point, but I've got no intentions of doing it right now. I love having fun. I love pranking my family, friends, and, and just um, just messing about. I'm, I probably mess about too much, so I'll have to come curb it at some point, I think. There is absolutely no such thing. If you ever met my yeah. husband, you guys would get along like a house on fire. He spent half of the wedding oh, last think. night throwing <laughs> ice cubes and and little limes in everyone else's class. It was a great time. It was yeah, he's really that's really exactly, mature. That sounds exactly like my type of guy. That is that's what I'll be doing as well. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you've definitely ended up in a path yay as we call them that very much suits that kind of playful, exciting, dynamic side of you. But can you take us back to your earlier self? Like what were you like as a kid? You know, what were your first jobs or first kind of ideas of what you wanted to be? I know you started in a very different industry, which is so cool. Yeah, Jim, I think as a kid, I mean, my mom's happy to say this. I one of those kids that had so much energy that it was, I just didn't know how to use it. So in some ways, it ended up, I ended up being naughty because I just had so much energy to, to try and get rid of. And my sister is three years older than me and she started gymnastics when she was seven and I was four. And my mum was like, look, we've got to try something and get try and disperse some of this energy. So I started gymnastics at a very young age and it became very intensive very quickly. You know, And then fast forward to 17, at that point, I was competing for Great Britain and I'd been doing gymnastics since I was 4 to 17 and it was uh, five, six days a week most of the time between three and five hours a day. So I still, even during that, that period, had way too much energy and, I was, and I, was, I was training that much. And I played a bit of football as well. So if I, if I didn't do gymnastics, I'd hate to say where I'd be right now because I had too much energy, way too much. I love how you're like, I did a bit of football. You were like semi-professional for Ferrum Town Football Club, like actually playing in a league. Just just a little bit of football in there. <laughs> yeah, it was good. And that was in like a, a short period of time. But I really put that down to my my body of work as a gymnast from such a young age. It just put me in great stead when I gave up. You know, everything felt, that came a little bit easier because of that. I was very fast. And I think, you know, I'd recommend gymnastics to any child for a base for anything. Even if you don't want to take it to the highest level, if you can... You know, get to a good standard, it will literally put you in great stead for any sport you want to, to do after that. Yeah, absolutely. I was a ballerina when I was younger and did that up until I was about 15 or maybe 14. Same thing, like doing, oh, okay. going you know from, about yeah. yeah, like that whole, like you start when you're three and you're like, oh, this is a bit of fun and a good way to, you know, get rid of some energy and, you know, calm my kind of borderline ADHD. And then you get to like, you know, it becomes a professional pathway really quickly, but it teaches you so much discipline and and how to manage yourself and how to set goals and, you know, it's, it's that formative stuff that even if you don't go on to do it later, it kind of stays with you for life. Yeah, I, that's exactly, you know, and that's, we'll move on to this in a minute with the book, but that's exactly what it does do it. Regardless of keeping you fit and, you know, it gives you that, that very early on, you know how to work hard, the work ethic, the discipline. If you want to achieve something, you have to work your ass off to achieve it. And you want to be the best, you need to, you know, do more than most. And I think that's, you know, it's very important for, like you said, life skills and, you know, moving on to anything you do, you know that you've already had that 
as a young age and it's kind of embedded in you. That's exactly how I feel, exactly what's happened to me. It's also really interesting that, you know, you retired from your first career at 17. That's kind of most people haven't even started their first job by 17 and you already had an entire career and then retired and had to kind of, you know, let go of that identity and find a new one, which is really jarring and something that most people aren't maybe brave enough to do at all in their life, let alone so young and then, you know, multiple times. So what was that like? What made you decide that you were going to change direction? I can't even imagine being 17 and just deciding, like, I've I've competed for my country, but I'm going to shift my focus. And, you know, you were performing. You mentioned pantomimes. I know that you were doing stunts, like starting to kind of do stunts and, and a bit of modeling. Yeah. So how did you shift that goalpost at such a young age? It, it actually wasn't in my foresight of what was going to happen. It was kind of within a six-month period. I was a very small gymnast until I hit about between 14, 15, and had a huge growth spurt and, you know, within an 18-month period, which most successful gymnasts are small. And I was small until that growth spurt, and it put a lot of stress on my lower back. And then I had a Russian coach that, that left and, and went to America. So I, you know, I lost my Russian coach. I had back injury and I got two two. It was like literally three major, major things that you do not want to happen to you as a gymnast and they happened in quick succession. So it was a decision that needed to be made, you know, and I wanted to turn my attention to football. You know, I've always, always loved it, always enjoyed it, you know, but it was, uh, just had no time because the gymnastics took that that time up so much, didn't allow me to, to, to play football. So it was really tough. And, and at 17 years old, you're kind of at that age where you're, you know, you're just finishing school and you're meeting girls and you're going out driving. And it was, uh, it, I wasn't prepared for it. It was tough. It was really tough. But I managed to, you know, could have quite easily gone down the wrong the wrong road. Um, and I managed to kind of get into football, turn it around and then and then join an agency to do live shows. So it kind of got me out of that that period that could have been real bad, you know. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting reminder that things like sport or physical activity or you know being part of a community or a team in some way especially at that formative age can help ground you in a sense of belonging or a sense of like distracting you from all the other things you could be doing that actually kind of save you from other pathways that you could have gone down so amazing that sport was such a recurring theme for you before we move on to sort of how you then trained full time to to do stunts and you know I think it's it's so cool because it's one of those careers that we see every day but no one's really thought of how you become a stuntman. Like, what is the career yeah. path to do that? But first I wanted to ask, like, it's currently this week is International Men's Health Week and I just randomly had this question about, you know, it's so cool now to be a gymnast and to do all kinds of sport, you know, gyms in the Olympics. It's, you know, you know that the dudes are ripped and, like, it's a really cool thing to do. But I think when you're younger, it's very different to football. You know, you're like wearing lycra earlier than most guys do and you're doing yeah. kinds of different stretching. Did you find that it was, did you get, you know, teased at all for doing it? Was it hard to kind of explain? Massively. When I when I was a kid, like there wasn't as many boy gymnasts. It just wasn't because, uh, you know, exactly that reason. You, you, you're in that at a young age, you know, girls are doing it, not many boys are doing it. It took, it took, you know, time for boys to get into it. And for me to be wearing a leotard at school, you know that I, you know, I got bullied for that, and I think I remember getting to about fifteen years old, and uh, or fourteen years old, and I remember doing a back somersault in the playground, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, did you, everyone just see that?" And then you become the most popular kid in the school, so it turns around pretty quickly. But there was a, a period, you know, a good few years where it was, um, you know, I didn't want to go anymore. It pushed me to that point of, you know, I, I don't want to go to gymnastics anymore. I don't want to get teased anymore. My mum was so amazing in that respect of, 
but just just trust me and just keep going, keep going. This will pay off. Don't give up. You've worked too hard for this to just, you know, knock it on the head. And now I look back and I'm just so thankful that she made me continue, made me go because there were lots, many times, you know, I can't even count on my hands how many times I would kick and scream and not want to go. And she just kept, you know, she stuck in there and she said, go, go, keep going. And now I, you know, I can't thank her enough. I'll be sitting here now talking to you about, you know, the, the things I'm proud of. So I owe it to my mum. I love that so much. I think it's, you know, in any career path, it's a little bit different. You know, it's it's not cool until one day it's cool and then suddenly everyone wants to be you. And I'm sure all those friends from back then are like coming out of the woodworks now. Like, look what you made of yourself from gymnastics. That's amazing. But you yeah. do usually have to go through a bit of time where no one gets it. And I think that's when it's so important to have people like your mum or, or a good network or friends who support you through it while it's not cool until the day that it becomes cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Sarah, I think there's a, there is something to be said about, you know, getting through the adversity of going through that pressure of this isn't people say it's not cool and you're a young kid and how to deal with that. And I think, you know, it's never nice. And over time, I think you just start to build, you know, you start to become a stronger person from it. You know, I think there's not enough said about that as well. You know, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, promote people get bullied. I'm just saying that when you go through adversity like that, it, it makes you stronger and if you can pick yourself up and keep going, the benefits, are, they outweigh the, the negatives in the end, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big themes of this show is that, you know, it's all about joy and finding your yay, but no theory of joy can ignore that actually it's usually the shittier bits that get you closer to your joy because it teaches you what, yeah. you know, all the skills you need to get there. It teaches you resilience. And I think also like self-doubt is probably, of the of all the nays to yay that we talk about, self-doubt and imposter syndrome is probably the biggest. But then on top yeah. of that, like we've all got our own inner negative self-talk, but then if you've got outer people also bullying you and telling you what not to do, that's like a thousand times harder to keep on your pathway and sticking to what you love. But look what it did, the, the fact that you stuck to it, look what it's led to. Yeah. And even still now, like exactly what you touched on then, I'm, you know, more than, you know, I'm happy to, you know, not keep this in all the time, but it's like, you know, I doubt myself every single day. There's things I'm like, you know, to step outside your comfort zone, it's easy to, and it's subconsciously, you don't even think about it. You know, I don't want to try that. Or no, actually, I'm, I'm okay. I don't want to do that. Cause you just, that worry of failing or that worry of not being able to do it or that worry of being laughed at is, is powerful if you can take a step back sometimes and just say look if I don't do this I'm going to regret it down the line and if I you know I think that as much as you can people say all the time you know failure you don't want to fail but failure is a, is a learning curve and it's um you know you'll be better the next time and if you fail again at least you've learned from that and you just keep learning and learning and learning and it's you know it's part of the reason about this book you know it's I, I never you know I was never thought about doing it ever uh, and then a friend of mine Antoinette as you know a she said, why don't you do this? And, you know, now I'm, you know, I've got a published, you know, book and it's out this June. So it's just to try those things it can be so rewarding when you don't think it's just that you, you're, like you said, you've always got the inner self. That's the biggest battle. You're, you're, you know, the battle is against yourself all the time. Yeah. I think it's so reassuring to hear, like for so many listeners to hear that someone at your level, who's done the coolest stuff at the highest levels in Hollywood, like constantly hugely successful milestones that you still get that voice in your head when you try something new. I think for a long time, I was waiting for self-doubt to disappear. And I was like, I'm not successful until it goes away. Now yeah. I'm like, you're not successful until you can just ignore it. It never goes away. You just get better at ignoring it. Never goes it. Away. I still have that now, regardless of the job at work when I'm a stuntman. I have that every single time, every single day, always, always in there. We manage to find ways to 
to overcome that and battle it. And that, that reward is much stronger. Totally. And I actually think the day that I turn up to something and I don't have a little bit of self-doubt, I'm probably too complacent. Like I've probably, I'm probably not. not you don't care about it enough. That's yeah, what it you're is. not you invested. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. So the stuntman, you have become probably Hollywood's foremost stuntman. I mean, literally your resume is insane. Obviously, most people will know that you have body doubled. You're, you know, Chris Hemsworth's main body double. You've also been a stuntman for Daniel Craig and Christian Bale in like the biggest, coolest roles. You've got eight SAGs, like two Emmys, I think. Like, I don't even know what the list is at, at you know, now, but an incredible, incredible yeah. career so far. But you had to start somewhere. So how do you even shift into this industry, let alone make it to where you've got to? What was that kind of trajectory like for you? And what did you have to learn? Do you just start throwing like yourself at stuff and then see what happens if you bounce? Well, it's so funny because, you know, I'm, I'm 38 next week. I started, you know, my Shut first up. film, was, I was 23. I, f- I feel 58. <laughs> well, you've done a lot of bouncing off things, so that's fair enough. Yeah, exactly. But my first film, I was 23, and I stunt double for Daniel Craig and Quentin Masolis. My first job. That was your first job? My first ever job, yeah. No, it was actually... There's a criteria here in the UK. You have to qualify in six disciplines. You you can train from like a possible 12, but you have to qualify in like six skills. So gymnastics, trampolining, high diving were three skills I already had from my background anyway. So I just took the test. So I'm very lucky to already have three ticked off. And then I did kickboxing to, to brown belt level. You have to have two amateur fights, video as proof. <gasps> and then I did swimming and scuba diving. So that made up my six skills. And just before I'd finished my six skills, I, would, I, I had done four and had a phone call. And uh, it was actually from the stunt coordinator, Gary Powell, who was, you know, a huge, huge coordinator, of, you know, and some of the biggest movies. He did, he did Casino Royale, the last four Bonds, whatever it was. You know, he calls me and says, oh, you know, we want you to come in and audition to stunt double for James Bond. And I thought it was a friend of mine that was calling to take the piss. I was like, this is a joke, right? So I, I, I kind of, you know, was making a joke back. I was like, you know, who is this ridiculous, like asking me to do the job that everyone wants to do is what I'm training for. And the phone was, went silent. And I'm like, oh, shit, this might be real. Oh, I've just pissed off the actual casting yeah, it was, director. It was, yeah, yes, sir. Um, where do you need me? He's like, Monday, 9 o'clock, see you there. So I, I come into Timer Studios and audition. I ended up going back like three or four, I think it was four times for a quite vigorous audition process until he offered me the job and it was supposed to be six weeks and ended up being six months. And that was the start and fast forward to this, but I actually didn't know anything about stunts growing up as a kid. And and I think it was, you know, it's unheard of back then, especially with social media and the internet and all that type of thing. We didn't have it. So my only goal as a kid growing up, I wanted to go to the Olympics. My hero was a a, a Belarusian called Vitaly Sherbo, and he he was the Olympic gold medalist, and I used to watch him on TV. We record it on VHS, a step late. We record it. If it was too late, we record it, and I watched it the next day. But he was my hero, and I wanted to go to gymnastics. That's all I had in – sorry, go to the Olympics for gymnastics. That was all I had in my mind. And I actually didn't even stumble across stunts and know anything about stuntmen until I got to about 21, and I was doing a high-diving show at Legoland in Windsor. Well, actually, no, so I was 20, and I watched Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's first Bond movie, and then I watched the credits come up, and I never watched credits come up in any movies, and I was, I was like, oh, this, this was so cool, and how does this work? So I watched the credits, and I noticed there was a name on there, Marvin Campbell, who used to be an ex-Olympian gymnast that I used to, you know, he was older than me, but I used to go to Lillishaw, and I used to see him, and everyone used to look, you know, that's, that's Marvin, it's Marvin. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, stunts, Marvin. I was like, he was a gymnast. 
So I then researched it a little bit, found out how, how it works. And in the UK, we have, it's called the BSR, the British Stunt Register. So I looked at the criteria and what I needed to do to train for the Stunt Register. And then I just started training. And it was just, it was new. I was like, oh, okay. And then I started to research more and find out more information. But now, thank, thanks to social media, thanks to the internet, thanks to stunt performers all over the world being able to post and, and show their stuff at what they do, it's now becoming more and more. But we still are crying out and desperate for stunt performers, especially here in the UK, because it's so, so busy, especially with streaming now and movies, that we don't have enough stunt performers. So we're crying out for them. But, you know, when I got into it, there was, you know, it was, no one really knew about it. I mean, it's so cool. Like we've all watched so many stunt doubles and probably not even thought about the fact that it wasn't the actual actor or actress themselves. Like it's just this flies under the radar, but it's so crucial. And it's so cool that you didn't even know about it until you're 21, which is when most people think that they should have made their forever decision about their life. You're finding out about a whole new industry and then just kind of Googling it off the back of watching credits in a movie like I, I think people get really siloed into like this is the way that you find a career pathway and this is the way that you find a passion but it can come to you in like the weirdest roundabout ways and you just look up like how do you train most people like I didn't know yeah. until I got you on the show I was like how do you even become like I didn't even know you could do a qualification or that there were areas you have to qualify in and in the UK it's um there is a criteria in the Australia there's a criteria there's like a register a stunt register you need to get but in, in the states there isn't and the states have the most stunt performers on the planet, so it's. <laughs> but you know, I guess it becomes word of mouth. But I think for me to be able to want to, because I mean, I started doing live acrobatic shows and stunt shows when I was nineteen, but I didn't really know anything about film and TV until I did a bit more. But I think if I hadn't have had my gymnastics background, then I would not be doing the job I'm doing today. So I already, without me knowing it. I'd already, I was, I was already building a, and had a physical degree in, in what I, you know, which put me in good, in the best, you know, position I could ever wish for to be a, a you know, a professional and successful stunt performer because with gymnastics, trampoline, and high diving, the awareness that it gives you, spatial awareness, and like we talked about before, work ethic, knowing how, you know, discipline, working hard. Otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it. So although I, it, it, you know, I kind of not fell in my lap, but I checked out when I was 21 to film and TV without me knowing it, I'd already been training really for the, since I was four years old for this, you know? Yeah, that is so cool. That's like the essence of this whole idea of your pathway that, you know, you, you don't know when the next chapter is around the corner, but you just prepare yourself as best you can for whatever comes next based on what you're good at and what you enjoy. And then and you're on the cusp of like a, a whole new chapter, like a third chapter that, again, I'm sure only recently you probably had no idea was coming, which is Again, so excited that you never stop growing and that you can never stop like reinventing yourself and doing new things. But before we get to yeah. the book, I have to ask you some of the like dish the dirt behind the scenes stuff that I mean, most of us would just never have access to or never have the chance to kind of find out about. So on set, for example, when you knew that you were going to be James Bond, like what the actual fuck, that's so cool. Do you spend a lot of time with Daniel Craig? Do you have to learn not only the stunts, but like his body language? Do you have to train to condition to change your shape to be more like, obviously like you've Daniel Craig is different to Christian Bale is different to, you know, all the different, like Chris, like they've all got different yeah. bodies. So how do you prepare to be a person? Do you change your hair color? Like how, like how do you do all that stuff? Yeah. And I, you know, this is one of the, the other the things that I take so seriously in being a stunt double for an, an actor is, it's up to the stunt performer to do this and take it upon themselves to, you know, 
research the actor and watch their way where they move and the way they walk and the way they talk all of their mannerisms you know it's that that's part and parcel of being a stunt double is not just being able to do the stunts but you need to you know do everything that in, in my eyes you need to be able to try and do everything that they do which will make you a better stunt performer so at that time at 23 i was a lot smaller more of a gymnast physique a lot slimmer daniel's so lean that it worked perfect but now you know, I've been Chris's stunt double for 10 years and he's a man mountain. <laughs> I've had to put on a lot of weight, you know, like a lot of training, be in the gym most of the time. So, you know, I'd be too big to double Daniel Craig now. I'd have to, you know, go away for six months or maybe not six months, three months and, and, and lose a lot of weight and just go running on the street all the time, a lot more cardio. But it's, it's fine getting the job as a stunt performer. It's then, I say it's fine. It's an amazing achievement to get the job, but it's about keeping it. It's more important. Once you've got it, you're now in the in the light of people watching. So it's up to you to continue to grow and try and, and be the be, be the best stunt performer you can be, and monitor and watch those actors and how they do things. And you know that's what I've been doing every time I've stunt doubled with an actor, and that's what I do with Chris, and I have done for ten years. So you know it, it's weird. I'll, I'll watch them and analyze the way they do everything. So it's I think it's so important. I think anyway for, for mm. a stunt performer to do that. It's so cool. It's like the same thing as when an actor is playing someone really famous that they go and watch all of their news interviews and everything they've ever done to kind of mimic their voice and mimic, you know, you're doing the same thing in preparation to be the seamlessly step in to be someone. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any like hardest scenes you've ever done and then favorite scenes you've ever done across all the movies? Like, I mean, you've been in seriously some incredible blockbusters. Are any of your absolute favorites and then your absolute hardest yeah i i stunt double for for batman christian bale in the dark knight rises with chris nolan who's you know one of my favorite directors on the planet and a very good friend of mine was the stunt arranger called buster reeves he was he was doubling bane he actually doubled christian bale on the first two and i doubled christian and batman on the, on the last one and he was doubling bane and because he was the fight arranger he had to choreograph this big fight sequence between bane and, and batman and it was uh, in the streets in, in the streets of New York, up the stairs, and it was a 114-move fight that we had to remember, choreography. At that point in my career, I was 25, I think, or 25 going into 26, or just turned 26. So I was still fairly new, you know, and fighting at the time was not something I'd done a massive amount of on screen, but learning from him and I've learned from some of the best fight guys on the planet. Luckily for me, another, another good friend of mine, Ben Cook, who's also an amazing fight guy, so just to learn that choreography and make sure it's on time, you, it's almost a, you know, it's, it's like a dance. You're doing a dance with someone and, you know, the more you do it, the more repetition, the more you rehearse it, you, you get to know their, you know, the way they move. And so that was something I'm very proud of. It was something that I had to, again, ste- step out of my comfort zone. You know, my speciality is, is gymnastics, so I'm being high diving and then I'm doing something that's not. And that self-doubt comes in and, you know, shit, maybe, maybe they use the guys that are known for being the best fight guys. <laughs> and Buster was so good in that with, and he'd say to me, listen, put every faith in you that you can do this, just work hard and, you know, listen to what I'm saying and we'll do this together. And by the end, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. We can remember the fights. We did it all in one take once, like the whole <gasps> thing, you know, in Pittsburgh, it was like hundred degrees in the bat suit and it was so hot and we did the whole lot. It was incredible. So I'm very proud of that. You know, and at the end of that movie or halfway through the movie, it was actually the end of our shoot because sometimes they shoot out of schedule. We were in New York and the sun was setting and we climbed, free, we actually free climb up the, the Manhattan Bridge and I was standing on, to, on the Manhattan Bridge in the bat suit 
while Chris Nolan was circling at 360 with my boss with a camera on it in the helicopter while I was standing in the Batsuit. And it's that iconic shot of him regaining his strength back and becoming becoming Batman again. And it was me up there. And it was the last time that, that suit was worn. And then it goes into the Batman Museum. And because Christian Bale had finished all of his scenes in the suit at that point. So it was oh almost like the last gosh. shot of the movie for me. It was an amazing moment that you couldn't have written. It was incredible for me to do that. You know, and that was not maybe the hardest stunt in the world, but as something to be very proud of and go, this is incredible. It's not often you get to do that. And then, you know, watch a shot on, on, on the film and you're like, that's me. And it's like, I'm very proud of that. And, uh, you know, and then we fast forward to extraction and there's a stunt we did. I won the Tourist World Stunt Award for, for Hardest Hit. Where me and another guy, another stunt guy, we come off the balcony onto the awning. We hit the truck. We hit the road. We stand up. There's a bit of a fight. Then I get hit by a car. And we do that as one section. And it just won this year or last year at the, the Tourist World Stunt Awards for Hardest Hit. And we won Best Fight as well. Amazing. So, you know, massively proud. In, and they're, they're on completely different ends of the spectrum where it's, you know, the fight is something that's, you know, it's more of a dance. And then you go into something where it's bash, bash, crash. And it's, you know, it could be way more dangerous. You can hurt yourself a lot more. But I actually felt more comf- comfortable in that zone than I did in the fight. So I just needed to bring my fight stuff up, believe in myself, keep rehearsing, have it in my head. You know, and now I've I fast forward. I've done, I have done. I do lots and lots of fight stuff. Oh, that is so cool. Is there a real difference between actors in how much they want to do themselves versus how much they get you to do? Like how do they choose and how do you balance that out? I think I can only speak from my experience with, you know, with, with the actors I've worked with, but you know, for example, with Chris, again, I've been with him for 10 years, he is more athletic than most stunt guys. He, if he wasn't a successful actor, He'd be a he would be an dude. incredible stunt guy. Like he, just, he's, he can do everything. But I think what we try and do, and especially nowadays, is that the actor will say, you know, I want to do everything. But then it comes down to, you know, trying to really be strategic on this film. So say they say we've got four months to shoot this movie, five months. We have action unit which is where we do the stunt second unit where they've got a splinter unit where they do pickup shots. And then you've also got main unit, the talking heads unit, the acting unit. So you have someone the second AD will be in the trailer, like scheduling how we can get the actor over to this unit. What we do this, that's, it's a real, it's a big, big engine and, and, and people, a machine for, for all these things, these to tick all these boxes and get it, you know, all these cogs to work. And it's also comes down to an insurance thing. Like if Chris was to say, you know, you know and he's, and he's very good at, my, the stunt coordinators and me and the relationship I've got with him, that this one's, I don't think you need to do this one. It's, it's either going to be a big hit and I can do it, it's fine, or it's just not worth you, you, you know, twisting an ankle, rolling a knee, yeah. or whatever it is, then to be sidelined for two months, three months, then the production come, that has to stop, and then the production then are in, you know, they've, they've got a targets to meet, dates to meet. So that becomes a money thing. You know, you know, lose a lot of money if your actor's out for three months and they've got a release date that's now got to get pushed locations that you've got in that time frame they go oh you know we can't use that location in two months because another film's got it Mm. there's so many working elements that people don't see in the the background to make things work so it it really it's really important to bring a a, you know the best team you know together as as possible you know and and make everything work together and, and and so that's you know as a stunt double i'll go and work an action unit while chris is doing like a very intensive acting scene and then we'll then grab pieces that we need for him, close-ups in the action scene, you know, it might be a week or two weeks later. And we have to teach him the fights, teach other actors all the fights and the choreography. So it, it really comes into, it's about being strategic. Like, 
it's just not worth an actor getting injured for you know and then you know being out for three months yeah that's so crazy do you ever watch back scenes where they've cut in close-ups of his face and then you're doing stuff and you and do you ever like not actually know which one of you it is like if there's bits where he kind of does some of it yeah I think for me I always know what's me and I always know what's him and and the same with him as well I think weirdly we both know and I think most actors and stunt doubles do because you know that sequence that you did yeah and I just know I, I you know I always have to watch playback at what I've done and you know I, I don't like that piece I should have done that better I can do this a bit different so you, you analyze things and break it down to such small increments that I know, I know what stuff's me and I know what stuff's him but there are you know listen there's, there's been times where we both have gone is that me or you but it might be a real flash <laughs> you know, like a, a very you know, very small a small moment but you know I think yeah. it's uh Luckily, luckily for me, I've, I've been I've got away with it for ten years with him. So, yeah, <laughs> they are the loveliest guys ever. I don't. Were you in? You know how they do their New Year's party every year? Yeah, we went to one. We went to two of them because our. Have you met Mark Filippelli? Mark Filippelli. I don't think I have. He's, he's from. Because if you if you go to two of them, you you, you just didn't go to this year's one. Because I went to this year's one, but not the two years before. Yeah, our, we went in twenty. Oh my gosh. I can't even remember. The one in San Diego in La Jolla and then the Byron one the year before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, So you with Ted and Michelle was in San Diego with it. Ted and Michelle there? Yeah. Was it? Were you there? The gold one? No, I wasn't there for that, but I was just there for the – we just went to Ibiza this year, just gone for New Year. Oh, amazing. So our yeah. one, our business partner in our cafe, Mark Filippelli, he's really good friends with um, Craig and Leone. And by by default, the boys, because they used to live across the road from his first cafe. And so we ended up at at the La Jolla party and then in Byron. And they're just like, you think they're going to be the nicest guys ever, but they are all time. Even better than that. Yeah, like even better than you can ever imagine. So friendly. Craig Craig and Loans, they're like my second parents. Are they really? Yeah. They literally, Craig and Loans are like, you know, I'll see see Loans in... um, for the Thor premiere, and then I think she's coming to Europe, so I'll hang out with her there. Hopefully, at some point, wherever she, we, you know, she ends up, and depends on my work schedule. But they always call me their fourth son, so oh. it's just like... you could totally be a Hemsworth. They are so please yeah. send them our love. They are just the loveliest Absolutely. family, and they I love that you know all their school friends come with them, like Zocky and stuff. Like yes, yeah, the best. They're like family, yeah, for me, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, what an absolute so bunch of legends. This episode of Seize the A is brought to you by Stan and their exclusive new series, Everything I Know About Love. It's about best friends flourishing, failing, and figuring it all out, something I think we can all relate to from our 20s. If you don't believe me, have a listen for yourself. From the producers of Bridget Jones's Diary and Love Actually comes Stan's brand new series, Everything I Know About Love. To the first Friday night in our first London house. Meet your next iconic girl gang. You have always been my most important person. But can their friendship survive when life gets messy? I don't know if we should be that to each other anymore. The brand new series, Everything I Know About Love, now streaming only on Stan. Start your 30-day free trial now. Okay, so incredible stunt career. I think it's interesting, again, like sometimes when you hit a dream, especially one you didn't even know that you were going to have, how do you know when there's a new chapter coming up? Like, you know, you don't want to ever not challenge yourself when there's a chance to do something new, but you also, you know, don't want to throw away something that you're doing that's amazing. How did you decide to do a children's book? Like where on earth did that come from out of all of this? Like you're in Hollywood. Why did you just write a book? 
it came from, and this is me going back to, you know, being a kid and being naughty and mm. I was terrible at school. I just wasn't academic. It's not something I was good at. And if, you know, I think as kids, if you're not, if you're not good at it straight away, you don't want to do it because you, you know, you want to do things that you're good at. And I just wasn't very good at it. I'm, you know, very open to say that. And, you know, I wish I did better. I wish I listened more. It just wasn't my thing. But I just had in my mind that, no, I don't need school. I'm going to go to the Olympics. And look how that can go wrong. You know, okay, it's put me in great stead for what I do now, and I would never take it back. But there's many times about we talk about self-doubt and things that you know, I should know that I don't. And if I had have been better at school, I would know. And I think what actually happened, and it was a real eye-opener for me, is I had major back surgery after extraction one in 2019. March 2019, I had huge back surgery. So I have two titanium discs at my lower level, L4, L5, S1 level. And we kind of planned that with Chris's schedule because – after extraction, he'd been working so hard for, for, for so many years. He wanted to take the best part of a year off. This surgery was going to be, you know, between six to eight, nine months of recovering. And throughout my career, luckily for me, and I'm not complaining about this, but, you know, I hadn't had any time off. And it got to that point. I was like, okay, now it's time to have this surgery because it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And my discs, they degenerated and they got so bad that they were literally just vertebrae on vertebrae. They had, oh. they had gone through every stage of degeneration on the discs that, you know, I spoke to a surgeon. He said, look, come to me. We'll cut you open. We'll put two titanium discs in there and you'll be back to doing what you do at the highest level within six to nine months. And I was just like, look, this is a no brainer. Chris is going to take some time off. It's going to get me fit again. I can you know go back to my job, hopefully. But what you don't prepare yourself for, I knew it was going to be physically difficult to, to rehab and recover. I, I thought it was going to be difficult. I didn't realize how difficult it would be. But hand in hand with that, if not worse, was how difficult it would be mentally. I really did not prepare myself for that. I didn't know. And I think self-doubt kicks in when you're so busy all the time. You have this surgery and you're not mobile. You can't move. And that's my bread and butter. That's me. That's a part of who I am is my job. And I'm very proud of that. But then it kind of sets in the self-doubt. There's so much time on your hands. Shit, what happens if this has gone wrong? Because I would, you know, and I'm a warrior anyway. So... You know, I'd, I'd text my surgeon. I'd be like, this has happened. Like, you know, it doesn't, I, all I did was walk down the stairs. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. It's part of the process. Your body's getting used to this. But you just, you know, I was sleepless nights. I was in so much pain. I was on a lot of painkillers to try and, and they don't help. And I, I, and I was at a loose end. I really didn't know what I'd do in it. And I think that was when, for the first time for me, it felt like, shit, if this does go wrong and I can't go back to what I do, then what will I do? And not to say that I chose to write this book because I thought it was going to be the next J.K. Rowling because that's not the case. Yet. Yeah, it was more, I laid in bed and Antoinette, you know, she was a very good friend of mine and she was the centre publicist at the time. She just said to me, because she's, you know, she's so upbeat and she's so like, you know, and that's what I love about her. She's so positive. She's like, why don't you write a book? Like it was like something that could, could be done easily. And I was, what do you mean? What can, I, what do you, I can barely spell my name. What do you mean write a book? Like this is, you know. And she's like, and she, do you know what she said to me, which I love? She said, listen, no, no one cares at this stage if you make some spelling mistakes or well, the punctuality's not right. You know, no one really cares about that. It's about the story you have in your head that you can just write down and your experiences you've drawn on to become a successful stunt performer and the, the things that happen as a young kid growing up and the self-doubt and all those type of things. And I kind of, that's when I sat back and thought, okay, I'm not really, although you're writing the book, that's, it's not, it's basically just drawing on experiences and then what would motivate me? What, what would want to make me do something that I can help inspire other people and other children? And my stepdaughter, Taylor, you know, inspired me. My, my, my little nephew, Eddie, 
Oh, it's named after him. Yeah, the book is called The Adventures of Flipboy and Eddie. And that's my nephew. We I sent sent our, our uh, illustrator the pictures of him and she basically made you know made him come to life. But it, it was kind of I could draw from experiences from them and how kids are today and then how I was as a kid. And I think a blessing in disguise for us when we were kids, we didn't have internet, we didn't have phones, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have any of that. We didn't have laptops. So what would we do if we're bored? You'd go out and you'd play with your mates, you'd run around just you know, you, you were naturally fit as kids because it, it actually didn't matter when you were kids because we didn't know much about nutrition back then either. It was more about you could, you, the energy that you'd burn off. It didn't matter what you ate. And I was then training in gymnastics and doing so much so I could get away with eating wherever I wanted. And again, not knowing much about what you should and shouldn't eat. So I just thought to myself, we have to obviously stick with the times. We're never going to get away from technology. And it is an amazing thing. But how can we go back to some of the basics that we had as kids and intertwine that with, you know, technology. And it's such a fun book about discipline, knowing if you, you know, if you work hard at something, you will achieve something and that makes you feel good. At the back of the book, there's very basic tips on nutrition and basic tips on like a little training program you can do in your bedroom, star jumps, tuck jumps, squats, oh, push-ups, like basic that things so that any good. kid can do at home, but they just don't know, you know, you can do it with your parents, you can have fun, you, you don't have to be outside to do it. And this just at the back of the book to have those little natural, uh, sorry, those little, um, you know, informative little bits of information that are very basic that kids can do is, you know, be on your iPad for an hour, but then you're going to do this little program for 10, 15 minutes and, you know, eat a little bit better and, you know, be a bit more disciplined at home. Your mum asks you to go and brush your, your hair and brush your teeth and tidy your room, go and do it. Like, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of, you know, so, you know, Eddie in the book joins a martial arts class and, and gymnastics class because flip boy is his hero and he watches him on the tv and on his ipad that's all he does and he sees flip boy do all these tricks and because he's a young kid and oh i must be able to do that because flip boy does he doesn't understand that you have to work hard to get to that stage so he, he hurts himself and then he gets upset he's like why am i hurting myself doing this and he bumps into flip boy and he's gives him a little pep talk of you can't just look at something and think you can do it you've got to work hard at it and within six months, he's now training. And because of he's gone to the gym and he's starting to learn to be more disciplined and he's training, he's getting results, that goes so hand in hand with, you know, Eddie, you've got gymnastics in a minute, tidy your room. Yep, mum, straight upstairs, tidies his room. Like he's got some kind of routine. It's and so it's about awesome. kids having routines. And, you know, just you know, we all know that by eating better and, and, and exercise and just basic health and fitness is so good for you, not just physically, but mentally as well. We all know that. It just, it releases endorphins in your mind and you, you're upbeat, you have more energy. We know that. And I think this book is just a very basic for kids that between six and six and 12 years old that don't have heroes that they can look up to. I want them to look up to Flipboy and say, that's who I want to be. And it's, and it doesn't matter if they then go on and do something else. I can promise that by doing that from such a young age or doing that as a kid, it will put you in good stead to do anything else that you want to do. And it's a fun book and it's just to get kids to be as more active and healthy as as possible that's that's my main aim for this book so that's why i decided in the end you know with the back backing from antoinette to give it a go and and it was me again as an adult oh don't, do i do this do i step outside my comfort zone you know i'm successful at what i do now you know, i've worked so hard to get to there and gone through so many obstacles and adversity to get to there do i now want to strip it back and try something else and then get you know turned down for that it's you know, but I'm so thankful I did. It's the best thing, you know, I ever did. And, you know, I've got so many things that in, in the pipeline, we've got a great synopsis for, you know, 
you know, if this, if this book does well, we're going to bring a superhero girl into it and we can make it, you know, maybe book two and three, maybe make it a TV show. You know, I want to make it, you know, I want to, you know, try and make, bring Flipboy to, to life and Eddie as much as possible. So it was something I wanted to, you know, give back a little bit in a way. I love that so much. It's really interesting that this came up sort of in the week of Men's Health Week because I think one of the things that is the the theme about conversations for men and any of the things that they go through in their health and wellness and mental health and wellness is to start the conversation when they're younger, to talk to them when they're boys, like how do we teach our boys how to do that and, and young girls as well, but particularly, you know, in, in Men's Health Week that it's it, it's interesting that talking to kids about basic things when they're younger and giving them the resources to get excited about being well and fit and active and and drawing on the superhero thing because for older boys, older men, but also sort of teenage boys and stuff, like you as a superhero doing stunts is is straightforward. But for a younger boy, like Flip Boy being the superhero, it's so beautiful that you've translated it into a really fun and exciting and and so wholesome. I mean, how sweet that little Eddie's like watching Flip Boy on his, on his iPad and it's modern, but it does kind of draw on your own childhood. I think it's so exciting. Like what an amazing Absolutely. Privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully it does, does great. And I can, you know, as I said, my stepdaughter Taylor, she'll be, she'll be the superhero girl in the next one, hopefully. <gasps> Gosh, and you know what? It's so the last section of the podcast is play TA, which is the whole idea that you know, outside of your working identity and your productive identity, which is what we just talked about, stripping back who you are when you're at work and you're kicking goals, and you know, we get so wrapped up in success being you know what we do, being who we are, and not having any identity outside of that. So it's interesting to me that this idea, like the the biggest new idea you've had in the last what you know, how long you've been doing stunts, fifteen years was when you took a break from it, you know, you couldn't, you didn't have space to have a fresh idea until you step away. And I think maybe you don't need to take a year off or like 10 months to have a surgery to do that. But I think people think that if they take a step back, they'll, they won't be able to catch up or they'll fall behind or, you know, that you just need to be go, go, go all the time. But my best ideas are always when I take a weekend off or a week off or a day off, like it's getting distance that you get fresh ideas and perspective and that's when this idea came to you when you couldn't do anything else I find that really interesting yeah, yeah. but it, that's so true Sarah because I probably if I hadn't had the bad bad back and I didn't need the surgery then this wouldn't the book wouldn't be here it's exactly that because you do fear of oh shit if I step out of this someone else can take my spot so you know if I, if I step out of this I'm not going to be able to come back and catch up it's exactly right what you said and it's just proof that you know proof in the pudding that if you do do it and you do take that time off and you and you do try and explore and expand great things can come from that and i think this time around again you know i finished extraction 2 with with chris and the team in prague at the end of march you know and it's time to take a little bit of time out because we you know hopefully this year we we have our a, f- a few of us got a film coming out as our acting debut as well as doing our own stunts <gasps> yeah an action comedy called school fight which is so much fun so funny we actually shot it and again it was <laughs> it was just after i wrote flipboy you know, I wasn't working with Chris. I couldn't be too physical. So my friend, who's a very good friend of mine, Damian Walters, he's like a YouTube pioneer. He was five-time world champion tumbler. Uh, he's doubled for Captain America and like stunts. He wrote and directed this film and asked me to play the lead villain. And then we've got my two other buddies for the two leads in it. And it would ended up being the best experience of my whole entire life. And I wouldn't have done that again if I hadn't have had that back surgery and taken a bit of time out because I would have been doing a big blockbuster movie and we just made it ourselves. We actually made it, you know, Damien put up the money for it to make it, but it's a very low budget. And I think when you see it, you'll just be like, holy shit, wow. You know, Matthew Vaughan is, is on board. He picked it up. He loved what he saw. And, 
you know, it's, it's been finished in post to the highest level. So, um, you know, I'm excited for that. And I think I took some time off after the extraction in March because hopefully, we, 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 you know, we're having meetings. We're trying to pull things together to make another one. And that's what we want to do now. So, you know, two amazing things have come out of taking a step back. And it was only because of the injury and that time on my own to really reflect and try other things that these two new huge adventures could, you know, be life-changing. So, um, yeah, I think if, if anyone can learn anything from this podcast today is, you know, <laughs> just go for it. Give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, you've learned something from it. And go back again if you if, and, and try harder next time or, or, or use those mistakes as positives to learn and, and just and give it a go. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm so glad I, I gave both of those things a go and, you know, there's some big things happening, I hope. So exciting. And I think also like the idea that, you know, often you find yourself in a really tough time, like with your back, you know, not being able to do anything and all the things that make you you and that make you feel good, having those stripped away. It was like a forced way to create space. But once you've had that experience, you realize I, I can actually choose to put that space in my life. I can actually choose to kind of build into my schedule time to play, time to give my brain a break so that I can... Yes have these new ideas more because otherwise you just get on that productivity hamster wheel and you do the same thing over and over and it might be something really good, but you don't know what you're missing out on until, you know, you actually, you do, you just give it a go. So you mentioned you've taken a little bit of time off after years of not having any time off, which again is amazing that you've been in such demand. But now that you are kind of building in a bit of downtime, a bit of time for play, you mentioned you have a stepdaughter and I imagine being around children kind of brings that you know, our, as adults, our head is like, what am I doing next year? And five years time, what's my yeah. five-year plan? But kids are so like in the now. How do you yeah. play? What do you do when you're just like, you don't care about the productive outcome? You're not worried about success. You're just for the pure joy of life. What What do you do? Do you watch net? Do you watch Netflix? Like, do you even watch TV? Are you, are you done with TV? Yeah. You know what's so funny? Because people are always like, wow, you know, stunt guy, adrenaline junkie, and you love to you must be when you're not working, you go out skydiving, all that type of stuff. I think because I've been so busy for 15 years and it's long, long days, long hours, you know, just going out for a nice relaxing dinner and a glass of wine and a great <laughs> bit of food and, you know, hanging out with friends and chilling out and resting and watching, I watch football and I love the UFC and all these things that, that I don't really get to do as much of when I'm working six days a week. Sometimes, sometimes I, I have to, you know, we're up at four or five thirty in the morning, up between four and five in the morning drive to the studio, hair and makeup, you don't finish till eight or nine, you've got a train, just go to, you basically come and eat and go back to sleep. You're very committed to the job. So on downtime, I actually try and, especially at the beginning of the part of the downtime, depending on how long I've got, is I want to just relax and chill out, do the, do the simple things and, you know, see friends, have nice dinners, catch up with people that I haven't been able to, you know, see for a while. And then, you know, depending on how long I've got off, you know, I have a nice little holiday away, relax in and, you know, maybe again, come back and oh, I'm going to go and do this. And this is a good adventure. I want to go and try and do this. And I think, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to do that as well financially because I've worked so, so hard and so much, you know, you can get to do some, some great things. So I actually probably chill out, which people don't think or may not think that these high, you know, obtain stunt people that love jumping around like crazy. Did it on my time off? It's the, I want to do the opposite. Yeah, that's like the last thing you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's also the case for a lot of people is like the what they do as a job, they love it. But as soon as they've got time off, like you want to do the opposite of that thing because you just you get so much of it that you need 
to unwind and like and and chill and let your body break like your body must get so tired yeah yeah exactly recover from a few injuries and knocks and you know i'll still go and train i'll I'll go and keep maintenance on the body and, and and you know if I can get down to the gym and do a little bit of gymnastics to brush up on some skills or go kickboxing or boxing or whatever it is, get the gym and, and still try and eat as healthily as I possibly can. On my downtime, you know, I might indulge in a little bit more chocolate and crisps and whatever, but generally it's it's great to have that downtime to, like you said, rest your mind, your body, and then recoup and then come back stronger next time. I think it's important. Downtime is so important. It's underrated. Do you find, this is another random question I just thought of now in light of this men's men's health week. My husband was an athlete. He was at Loughborough actually, which is how he knew the, the lads from this wedding and was a hurdler and then retired when he was, you know, got constantly injured. And one of the things that's been really, like that was really hard in the transition that often you don't kind of get sports psychology out of is you know, you're getting your skin rolls measured every two minutes and the pressure on your physical appearance is so high, let alone when then you're in Hollywood all the time. It's interesting that there's so much discussion among women with body dysmorphia and confidence and all that kind of thing, but it's not really spoken about that much for men, even though there is as much pressure for men to have an eight pack all the time and then add that you're playing Batman and, you know, like James Bond yeah. and, and, yeah. and you know, whatever Chris is doing, you're Thor. Like, you know, you've got to – does that ever get to you? Do you find that difficult when you do want to rest but you're like, but I need to get to the gym or I can't, like, eat this because yeah. do you find 100%. that hard? It's um, very hard. I would be – I'm not going to lie, very, very hard. It's my last 15 years is to train to look like someone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is it part of me now? And sometimes my friends are like, chill out, don't worry, it's not going to matter that you have. I'm like, I can't, I can't. You know, I need to stay on level ground so it can give myself, you know, a six-week period to either lose weight or put it on. Like, it it really is. It's, and, and listen, I think once this is all over, I'm going to be really, really fat and I'll enjoy You're gonna it. You're going to blow out. <laughs> yeah, I'll enjoy it. I'll just be like, no, I deserve this because the whole, whole career has been, you know, Exactly that, calorie counting, watching your weight, trying to look like someone else. Let's be honest, doubling Chris Hemsworth for the last 10 years, like they've got the best physique in Hollywood. It's just not very nice for me to be like, shit, why did it have to be him? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's so tough. I, you know, and it's it takes a lot of willpower and discipline. And like I said, I'm, I'm nowhere near as strict as I'd like to be because sometimes I'm like, oh, do you know what, I'm a bit of chocolate and it's like crave it and you have it. You know, it's tough. I think I've, I've been lucky that I've, like we go back to the gymnastic days that, I had that great skeleton of work that I could build around. And I, and I know that if I really do turn it up and become real strict, I can get results very quickly. But they also go very quickly as well if you don't, if you don't watch what you eat. So it's 100% like polydysmorphia has been a big thing in my career for sure. Yeah, that's so interesting because for, you know, for the average lay person, it's kind of like, you know what, no one's going to notice. Like no one sees me naked, you know, like yeah. no one is going to tell if I put on like half a kilo. For you, it's like, no, I mean, like millions of people are going to see my butt every day. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I can imagine the stakes are so much higher. It would be, it would be really hard, but obviously not without benefits either. And I can't wait to see you yeah. blow out afterwards. You'll just be like, Mah. enjoy it, enjoy it. <laughs> Well, second last question, just to finish up, what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation or interviews, like weird allergies or sleeping habits or tattoos, like who people who live with you would know them, but no one else would know? I think, <laughs> I didn't know this, but I think when I sleep, I kick around a lot, which I, oh, yeah. I don't know if 
I don't know if that's like... Doing a fight scene in your sleep? Yeah, I don't know if that's because of the job. It's so much like, and I'd go home and I'd go to sleep and I'm still like kicking around. I don't, I don't know why I do it. I obviously don't know I do it. So that would definitely be one of them. Um, and I think, you know, some people say to me, you fidget and I get, you know, fidget in my, in my sleep. But even when I'm, you know, watching a film or like I'll slap my leg or lift my leg, like I'm always moving. I can't just sit down and relax. So that's, that's quite funny. I just, I guess that's just because it's my whole life has been that, you know, and I guess people, you know, again, just, I want to probably relax more than most and I will, I'll binge and watch, you know, if something's really good on Netflix or whatever the show may be, I'm, I'm happy to sit and, and, and watch like six episodes in, in, in one go and, yes. you know, eat, eat a bag of Doritos. Like it's, <laughs> I, I, I'd actually say it's probably one of, I mean, listen, I love going out for lovely dinners. Like Nobu is my favorite <gasps> restaurant on the planet. Same. It's my favorite on the planet. I love, that's what I love to do is go for nice dinners, have a nice glass of wine, whatever. But I'm quite as happy, just as happy sometimes to, you know, get a, a Thai takeaway or whatever at home and have a beer and what, like in the comfort of your home. Like just go into the cinema again. I love doing that. But, you know, you do it at home, you can just pause it. You can go, you can go and do something. You can go to the bathroom. You can come back. You're in the comfort of your, own, of your own home. I think comfort, I think for me, is really important. Comfort, for sure. That's, I think that's probably the third thing is comfort. Oh my God, you and my husband are so similar. He's like, I'm watching a movie, but you know, I he doesn't like cinemas because he can't do 800 other things at the same time as watching the movie when he's in the cinema. He's got to only watch the movie. Whereas at home, he's like building a Lego, drilling some, like making some shed from scratch and like also like research. I don't know. He's doing like 800 things at once all the time. It's like, what? I'm chilling. I'm like, you are not chilling. You are doing 800 things. (laughs) Also, have you stated that there's a Nobu Hotel in London? Yeah, we've got, um, you've got, so you've got Portman Square, which is the Nobu Hotel. There's one in Shoreditch, but it's shut at the moment. I don't know why it's shut. I think then, and there's one in Park Lane. So I think in London, we've got three Nobus and one's closed down at the moment, but they are opening a new one soon. I did not know they had a hotel. I was like, does that mean that room service is Nobu? Because, wow. Is it actually? Shut up. It is. It is. It is. is. Oh, my God. Oh, we've got two nights at the end. And I'm like, we haven't booked accommodation yet. I'm like, oh, should we stay? The black cod is like my favorite dish in the world. Yeah, the black cod. Yeah. But they now do black cod croquettes. Stop. Trust me. Go to um, the Portman Square is the Nobu Hotel. Portman Square is incredible. Okay. Oh my God. Totally doing that. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Two last questions. The cool. first one is your favorite quote. And the second one is when and where can we get the book? Okay. Uh, favorite quote would have to be, I think it's tattooed on my arm. Do stuff, have fun, be nice. Oh, I love it. And basically the whole Hemsworth crew has it. Leonie's got it. Stop. She's got that tattooed. Zocky's got it. Az has got it. I've got it. Like we've, the whole group has got that tattooed somewhere on their body. Do stuff, have fun, be nice. Oh, I love that. That is so you guys. <laughs> just simple, yeah. but just have have a good life. Simple, but so effective. Also, can you get a tattoo without Chris getting it in the same spot? Like, do you guys have to coordinate that? Or do you just get them all covered? Yeah, like I've, I've got a whole sleeve that I just decided halfway through Dublin, I think after like year three or four, I was like, I'm going to get a sleeve. And he's like, the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, well, I just always wanted one, like, but the makeup is so good at covering them up. They've got like a special tattoo cover now and they can get like, you know, they can get that covered in 25, 30 minutes. It's, it's covered and they, they put this spray solution and it stays, you know, covered all day. And then you have to, you know, go and wash it off. I mean, listen, it's funny because whenever I get a new one, because I went from 
like having a little band. Then I did the three quarter. Then I went down to the wrist, and then I did the hand. And you and you just never stop. But people are just like it was so funny when I said to the boys, "I'm going to get the hand," and they're like, "Dude, what you know? What about tattoo?" And I'm like, "Hold on a minute." Do you not realise for the last five years I've got my whole arm done? Does yeah. it really matter if I get that one little bit done on my hand? Is it really going to matter that it's going to take an extra two minutes to cover that? <laughs> if they can't cover that. So it's, it's my, that was my kind of thing behind it. But some days, I, I'm not lying, it's some days you kind of go, shit, I've got to go back that. and get that taken off. Now it's going to take 30 minutes or whatever. So me and Chris haven't got the same. Well, he's got a couple now, but they're not the same ones. But yeah, I think I, I'm actually in the process of getting some taken off. So... I think I'm kind of helping out again now because I'm taking some away <laughs> than the ones that I, I don't know. Now maybe it makes me feel a bit that way. Do, if he gets one, do you then have to get that so you get all yours hidden and then you have to get his added on? Only if it's for the sh- the, for the film and the scene. So his, his ones that he's got that are actually his real tattoos, they're never really in the film. Okay. They, yeah. they get covered up himself. If we have tattoos, they cover them and then we, for the film, we've got to put the, the other tattoos on top. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Imagine yeah. before they had that makeup, you just wouldn't be able to body double unless you had nothing on your skin. You couldn't get tattoos yeah. at all. Yeah. No, no, yeah, exactly. Wild. Yeah. I shouldn't do it. Listen, I shouldn't. I'm just very fortunate. I've got someone like Chris in my corner that's, you know, I'm in his contract, been in his contract for, for 10 years, and he's like, look, that's my stunt double, so this is who I want. Kind of lets me, you know, that means, okay, well, just we have to cover it. Because want. if it was yeah. a choice and I wasn't with him, I'm sure production would be like, Let's get someone else that we don't have to cover tattoos. Like, yeah, I think that would – so I think I'll be quite lucky. I love that you're a writer in his contract. Like, you, you want me, you get Bobby. Soz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's the best. He's the greatest, greatest human on the planet. We've, you know, he's one of my best pals. We, we've been, you know, working together for so long. I think we've done 15 films together. We get on so well and he's just so loyal and, you know, he's like, that's, that's my stunt guy and, you know, we're going to take care of him. He's, he's, he's amazing. He's the best. Oh, he's a good egg. It's a great egg. And finally, where can we get The Adventures of Flipboy and Eddie? So The Adventures of Eddie and Flipboy, you can get it on sale on the 20th of June. It's fifteen ninety nine online, Booktopia, Amazon Books, QBD Shops, Dymarks, Readings, uh, most of the good bookstores. Amazing. From the 20th of June. So hopefully if this one does well, we get to make a few more. Oh, how exciting. Well, this won't be coming out until after that date, so I'll make sure to pop a link in the show notes for anyone who's listening who wants to get a copy and see some of the, you know, teasers and illustrations. And and how exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Gosh, I pinch myself all the time at the people this show has connected me with. What a cool story Bobby has. And the children's book is a pure delight. So much Pladier going on there. Of course, I'm guessing you'll also want some visuals of him in action. So along with where you can get the book, there are show reels and more links in the show notes. As always, please thank Bobby for his time and energy sharing the episode. Screenshot it right now, right now while you're listening and tag at BobbyDuzzler84 and us so we can keep growing the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. I hope you are all having an amazing week and are seizing your yay.